All right, good morning, 11 a.m. How you doing? Good job. So, hey, I love the videos uh, for the past couple weeks. Really all semester, we've challenged everyone to get out their phones and put set an alarm on their phones and title it, Lord, Include Me, that we want to be a community that gets invited into everything that the Lord has in store for us. And one of the ways that we're going to do that is just pray, Lord, Include Me. It's your day. I'm created for you and your purposes. And for the past couple weeks, we've seen some just crazy stories unfold, and yet I'm so thankful for the story of Michael this morning, how it's also just in the things that don't seem all that significant at the time, but looking back on it, you see how the Lord was just carrying and moving you right along, and so I'm super grateful. Keep it up. I think it's beautiful. Really excited to keep sharing those stories together uh, on Sunday mornings. Now, we got a little bit of family business to get to this morning. (laughs) And here's, here's the truth. Let me be honest. <clears throat> Whenever my parents said, hey, we have to have a family conversation, I'm like, great, what did I get caught doing? Like something happened. And so uh, I feel a little bit like that this morning, but nothing is wrong. Promise you that. But uh, I do want to talk about some things that has caught the attention of our nation right now. And I want to, you may have heard or heard a whisper of it that there is an election going on in just a couple of few weeks. And uh, I want to talk just real specifically about that just for a brief moment. And I want to put your mind at ease just from the start. I am not going to tell you how you should vote. That is not my place and that's not my call for you. But I am going to tell you, I believe it's, uh, every given, it's uh, all of our responsibility to go out and to vote. And so right now, up on the screens right now, if you don't know how, if you're registered to vote, you don't know where to vote, This is a website that you can go to right now that has some helpful information that can help you uh, discover if you are registered to vote. It can even give you information about how to go register to vote before the election. And I want to say this, brothers and sisters, before we are, our allegiance is to any political party, Democrat or Republican, first and foremost, foremost, our allegiance is to Jesus Christ. And we vote kingdom values, kingdom perspective, not what's just best for myself, okay? So I just want to tell you right now, uh, as there are going to be lots of opportunities for lots of gas to be thrown on lots of fires, and I would love for Riverside to be known as a place that does it differently. Not that you don't disagree, not that you don't have some really good conversations, but that it is tucked up and covered up in grace and love for the person you're having conversation with. Just FYI, stay off Facebook and social media. It's probably the best place. So uh, just a little tip for you this morning, all right? <clears throat> okay, so if uh, you want to grab your Bibles, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 7 this morning. We'll also have it up on the screens. Uh, we have been rolling with this idea that if you want to get uh, a good picture of what God looks like, look at his son Jesus. Because every time you look at Jesus, you get a picture of what God is like. So if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. He's the perfect imprint, uh, impression of what God is here with flesh and bones on. So up until this point, we have uh, had a little phrase kind of um, circle, uh, kind of rise to the surface over and over. And that common phrase is um, that Jesus is our high priest. Now, This morning, uh, for the last seven weeks, we have not really dove into what does that even mean that Jesus is our high priest. We've kind of glossed over some of that. But this morning, we're going to tap the brakes and really 
dig in and take a real specific look at what does it mean that Jesus serves as our high priest. And we're going to be introduced to a character that you probably don't know a whole lot about, and his name is Melchizedek. Because the scripture says that Jesus comes in the order of Melchizedek, or Melchizedek, if you want to say it right properly and impress your friends. But um, So we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about the order of Melchizedek and that Jesus comes up and out of that order. Now, pause. Most of the time when I teach on Sunday mornings, <clears throat> I try to be very thoughtful with us about, hey, I want to spend some time unpacking the scriptures. And then there's going to be about the other half of the time that I want to talk about, so what? Why do the scriptures matter? Because if all you're doing is getting information and there's no transformation, we should all sleep in and we've got better things to do with our time. Like it's not just about filling your brain with knowledge it's always about walking it out and being transformed to more look like Jesus. Saying that, this morning we are diving into the deep end of the ocean and we got a lot of information for us to unpack today. So normally I try to balance it. This morning is going to feel super nerdy and super heady. So this is what I need you to do. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Now do this. You just put on your thinking cap. So you got to think this morning, and I'm going to take you on a long journey that is going to be very easy for you to tune out. <clears throat> but I'm going to ask you, hang with us. There's going to be times where we're swimming neck deep, and you're going to be tempted to tune out. And I want to invite you to stay locked into the story. Because if we do it well, and we do it right, you're going to see something pretty spectacular at the end. And I don't want you to miss that, okay? So you got to hang with me for a little bit, all right? So deep end, but we're going to come up and we're going to like ask the question of so what at the very end. So first thing you need to know about before we get to Hebrews chapter 7 is about the sacrificial system. The sacrificial system that we find in the Older Testament is one of the predominant images, the predominant themes of the Older uh, Testament. Um, so kind of thinking about that, the next natural question you would want to ask yourself is, is where does that come from? If this is the predominant, one of the predominant themes of the Older Testament, where does that begin to surface? Does anybody know? So I'm glad you asked. So if you go back to Genesis, you see the early remnants of the sacrificial system beginning to rise. Adam and Eve are created in the garden, and they are designed, you are designed to be in right relationship with Jesus. You and God are designed to walk in the cool of the evening, as Genesis says. But Adam and Eve sin, and what happens? Their eyes are opened, and they become naked, and they are shameful. And so what do they do when they see God coming? They go and they hide. God calls out, where are you? Does he not really know? He knows where they are, but they don't know. So really, so it brings them back, and God is always about restoration, bringing us back to how we are originally created, and so he covers them out of animal skin. So you see the picture that the sin of Adam and Eve is costly. It's going to, something is going to have Somebody, something's life is going to have to be shed in order to cover their sin, right? And God does that with Adam and Eve by taking the life of an animal and covering their, their you know what I'm saying. So 
Now, as the story begins to unfold and the narrative of the Bible begins to unfold even more, this idea that we see in Genesis becomes more realized and really pronounced by the time we get to the Exodus story, Genesis, Leviticus, Exodus. It's kind of full-blown and in place at this point. Now, you see it with the story of the Passover lamb, right? You see it beginning to take place in Adam and Eve, and finally down the road, you see the story of the Passover where it's finally in place. Now, I want to show you uh, um, uh, some pictures here. So where does the sacrificial system come, or who does the sacrificial system come up and out of? So let's go to that first slide. I want to show you this. Now, these are the, uh, I'm sorry, we're going to nerd out, so hang with me, hang with me, all right? So these are the 12 tribes of Israel. Abraham has two sons, Isaac and Jacob, and out of Jacob comes the 12 tribes of Israel. And I need you to know about two specific tribes. Hang with me, they're going to show up here in a second. There's two specific tribes you need to know about, the tribe of Levi and the tribe of Judah. The tribe of Judah is known for uh, raising up or producing the uh, uh, kings and leaders. So out of the tribe of Judah is the king of the people. What tribe does Jesus come out of? Hail, hail, line of Judah, right? So that's it. So he comes up out of the tribe of Judah. Now the other tribe that you need to know about at this time is the tribe of Levi, now, Levi is responsible or known for, um, like, the priestly duties. Um, and so out of the uh, line of Jacob, you have these two specific tribes that begin to emerge, the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Levi. Levi, the priestly duties, Judah, the kings, right? Now, this is the original separation of power, checks and balances. You can't have uh, somebody that's both priest and king, right? You got to separate those things so that one person doesn't have all that type of authority. That makes sense to us, all right? Now, hang with me, hang with me, track with me. It's going to get cool in a second. So the thing you need to know about the priestly responsibilities, part of their role, uh, and let me be honest, is Carl in here? Carl over here is uh, a genius at this, more schooled than I am. So if you got questions, Talk to Carl. Direct your attention to him because I don't really know. So um, part of the priestly responsibilities would be to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. And so there was one day in particular. Oh, wait, let me back up. Um, So when they would offer sacrifices, you need to know that we don't think the same way. And here's what I mean by that. In our Western world, when we think about our relationship with Jesus Christ, we predominantly would say things like, I have a relationship with Christ. I know Jesus in a personal way. I have sinned. I have blown it. I am returning to the Lord. I ask for forgiveness. This is not the world of the Jewish people. The Jewish people primarily don't think with I. They think of we. We have sinned. We have uh, turned our back on, on God. We repent before God, all right? So the priest would go and make offerings, not on behalf of necessarily just you, but on behalf of everybody, because they think more communally. And there was one day, really specifically, where he 
offer the prayers and a sacrifice for everybody. And that was then known as the Day of Atonement or the day, you might know it as Yom Kippur. It's a Jewish holiday. It's the day where the priest would make a sacrifice on your behalf. So the priest would go into the Holy of Holies and before he went in, because he is got his own sin, he would make an offering to the Lord and then he would go in and make an offering on your behalf. Now question for you. Um, Riverside's not a big church. We're like 300, maybe 350, kind of pre-COVID. But I know a good handful of you in here. But there is no way for one person to know every single person in here really well. It's just not possible. Same back then. Now, when the priest would go and he would make a sacrifice on your behalf, there was no way for him to know all of my stuff like where I struggle, where my insecurities are, the ways I've misrepresented Jesus, the ways that I may have gone astray knowingly or unknowingly. There was just no way for him to know all those things about me because he's just one person, right? So the system that was established was was good, but it was not perfect, right? And on top of that, what really happened was it never stopped. It was always ongoing. You blow it, you got to offer a sacrifice. Once a year, all of the people got their sacrifice. And so you were always in this perpetual cycle of messing up and offering a sacrifice and messing up and offering. And you never kind of got out of that cycle, right? So that was the understanding. So it wasn't perfect, but it was what they kind of had. It was never designed, I guess I could say it this way, the system was set up to point to something other than itself. And what the system was, how the system was set up to actually point, with, point to is not to something else, but to somebody else. A foreshadow of somebody that would need to come and bring the fullness and the intent of it to completion. Okay, whew. Hebrews chapter 7, are you ready now? So we just did a lot of work. Now you understand some context of where we're going to be going, all right? That's important. Uh, Sacrificial system, two uh, priests, king, can't be the same one. Perpetual cycle of offering sacrifices for the things where you have blown it, right? That's the context of us jumping into Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews is written to... Hebrew people, Jewish people. So this is their mindset. This is their paradigm that they predominantly think about. This is their baseline of understanding. And so you're going to watch how the author of Hebrew is just going to flip that paradigm upside down. And it's going to be beautiful. So hang with me, all right? <clears throat> we're going to get uh, we're going to get going, but we got some more like meat on the bone that we got to chew on before we get to the end. So hang with me. So Hebrews chapter seven, starting in verse one. This uh, Melchizedek. Now stop. Does anybody know anything about this guy? This is one of those strange names that pops up in the Bible that oftentimes. Uh, if you're like me, we just read over because we don't know anything about him. <laughs> and it's like, whoops, strange name, just keep going and we'll just keep going. But here, you've got to understand, this is a treasure trove of, of beauty that the Lord wants to unfold for us. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Melchizedek or uh, 
Melchizedek, if you want to say it properly. We don't know a whole lot about him. There's only two places in all of the scripture that he's mentioned. One of them is in the book of Psalms, and then one of them is in the book of Genesis. And we'll show you that here in just a second. In the book of Genesis, what has happened is Abraham has a nephew named Lot. And Lot has got captured in battle. And uh, Abraham goes out to rescue his nephew in battle and just cleans house. He takes over, he rescues him, he gets all the spoils of war and all the goodies, and he goes back to his camp and he's kind of celebrating. And we'll see this strange character named Melchizedek show up on the scene. And it's where we get the most information about him. So let's look at Genesis 14, just a couple of verses. Then Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Underline it. I hope you're taking notes. He brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram, God of Most High, creator of the heavens and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hands. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Is there one more slide? Again, Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Okay, now let's jump back over to what it says in Hebrews. And I want you to look at what you just learned because you just discovered something pretty spectacular. Let's go back to Hebrews 7, verse 1. Look at what it says. Then this Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. What do you already know? You can't do that. That can't happen. You can't have priest and king coming up at the same time. It's not allowed. This is separation of powers that God has established. And yet somehow there's this strange character seemingly coming out of nowhere that is both of them. It's pretty, it's pretty unbelievable. That should not happen. Let's keep going and look at what it says. He met Abram returning from the defeat of the kings and he blessed them. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Now, oh, it's deep. Hang with me. When we give on Sunday mornings, why do we give? A couple ideas. One of the ideas is we give not because you should or you have to, but because it helps us remember who we are and who God is. It helps us have a proper perspective of who is actually superior. And it's not me, right? Right? So when Melchizedek comes out and uh, blesses Abraham, Abraham actually is recognizing the superiority of Melchizedek. All right? Okay. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. If you are a Jew at the time, who is the top of the list? Father Abraham. He is the top of the heap. It does not get more important than him. There is no one more significant. There's no one greater than Abraham. And you're just telling me that this Melchizedek comes out of nowhere and he's priest and king and Abraham recognizes him as the greater? Are you kidding me? The paradigm is getting flipped upside down right here. You might even be able to say it this way. You might be brave enough that for the Jewish people, God works right here. This is it. God works right here. These are my people. And these are my people. And they're my people. And this is where God is supposed to work. Oh, wait. There's somebody that's gone rogue over here. 
There's Melchizedek that is both priest and king, and Abraham recognizes him as more significant. But wait, isn't God supposed to work here in the church? But wait, God got loose somehow, and now God is working over there? He busts down every wall where God is supposed to be working. It's unbelievable. You've experienced it. Maybe you've seen it. Have you ever been to maybe a recovery meeting before? I have. What's fascinating about those, what is absolutely uh, so encouraging is they don't have time to pretend. Hey, good morning, brother. It's so good to see you. How are you? Highly blessed, deeply favored. You know, (laughs) They, they don't do that. They say things like, man, I woke up this morning and I was in the gutter. I don't even know how I got here. And they don't have time for the pretty. And they're real and they're honest and they're vulnerable and they're truthful. And it's like this whole situation is dripping with the Holy Spirit about people that are just hanging on to hope because everything in their world, all their circumstances around them are just crumbling. And but God's supposed to work here at the church with us. And yet, God got loose over there. That's the story of what is going on, is that God somehow got loose and the story's so much bigger than you even imagined or even thought was possible. Do you see the paradigm getting shifted for the Jewish people? Let's keep going. I wish we had time to go verse by verse through this. We just don't. We're going to skip down to verse excuse me, verse 11. Look at what it says. Oh, wait, did you notice what Melchizedek brings out? What's the first thing he brings out? Bread and... What? 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 Who is that? Who does he sound like? That's right. He is the... We're going to get there. It's so good. Verse 11. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, if the Levitical priesthood was the point... If it could have brought perfection, and indeed the law was given to establish the priesthood, why was there a need for any other priest to come? If that was the, the way that people were brought into right relationship, why would there anyone else need to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, one that is both priest and king, not in the order of Aaron or the Levitical priesthood. So was the law bad? No. Who was bad? me. The scripture, come on, come on, come on. Romans 8 people. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. The law of Moses was good, but it could not save you because it was weakened by the flesh. So Christ did what the law could not do, and he sent his son in a body like we have to be a sin offering for us so that we could live through the power of the Holy Spirit. Was the law bad? No. But we were weakened by this. Like I could not achieve perfection because of me. The law was beautiful and it was meant to point the way. And yet I just kept falling. I made the law the point rather than what the law was actually pointing to. The sacrificial system ultimately fell short because it could not bring you into right relationship. It was a foreshadow of what was actually to come. And it says that Jesus comes in the order of Melchizedek, right? 
He comes up and out of that order. Skip down to verse 15. Hang with me. We're going to get there. We're almost finished, friends. We're going to get there. Verse 15. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears. Who's that? Jesus. One who has become a priest, not on the basis of any regulation or ancestors, Jesus is free of the system that says the Levites have to produce the the priest. Judah has to produce the king. Jesus comes from the order of Melchizedek. Sorry, he comes from outside of where you think God should be working, and he's both, both of those. Do you know, just side note, um, this is one of the main arguments that the Jewish people have that they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And now you know why. Why? Because which house did Jesus come up out of? Judah. Where is he supposed to? Levi. It's one of their main arguments for not believing that Jesus is the Messiah. And you just dropped that on. You just got dropped on that by understanding Melchizedek. It's unbelievable. Now keep going. <clears throat> one who is on the basis, become a priest, not on the basis of regulation or ancestries, but on the power of an indestructible life. Oh, who has the indestructible life? Jesus. Life, death, no. Friday shows up on the scene, but Sunday's coming. And there's a resurrection after the cross, and he has an indestructible life. It says that he comes in the order of Melchizedek. Sorry, why? I can't, do, I can't give you both of them and then stick to just one of them. Melchizedek, the former regulation was set aside because it was weak and useless, which is a bad translation. Go dig on that. For the law made nothing perfect. It was not able to produce right relationship. And a better hope is introduced. Catch this, underline it. Because now we draw near to God. Who used to draw near to God? The priest. But now who gets to draw near to God? We do. We do. Do you see the paradigm just crumbling? Do you see the paradigm just beginning to get flipped right side up? So how is that better hope introduced? Let's keep going. Verse 23, and then we're going to ask the so what. (coughs) Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing. So a priest would die, even if I know you, and you, I knew your stuff and could offer an offering on your behalf, I would die, and a new priest would show up, and you probably wouldn't know them, right? Since death prevented them from continuing in that office. But because Jesus lives forever because of an indestructible life. He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him. Because he always lives to intercede on their behalf. We're going to come back to that. Underline it, circle it, highlight it. Such a high priest truly meets our needs. Why? Because he knows you. One who is holy and blameless and pure, set apart from sinners, exalted to the heavens. He's not like the other priests that first have to go into God's presence and make an offering on their behalf. He does not need to offer sacrifice day after day after day, first for his own junk and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all because he gave it the best. He gave himself. Now, brothers and sisters, Let's take all of the meat and let's let that just 
like work its way down and ask the so what? Why does the author of Hebrews give us this titanic of a passage to chew on? What difference does it actually make for you today, sitting in your seat right now? Let's look at that. Let's give a couple of reasons why this matters. Over and over, in this, over, over, and over again in the book of Hebrews, we've been saying Jesus is better. He's just better than anything. But this passage shows us why. First slide. Because you know where you stand. You never have to guess if you've done enough because the answer is no. You can't do enough. That's why Christ stepped in on your behalf. Because if you could have done it by now, you would have done it by now, and you couldn't. So Jesus comes in, and where sin runs rampant, grace abounds. You will always know where you stand. It used to be, it used to be this way, where the priest would have to go in and day after day make an offering on your behalf. And oh my gosh, look, there's somebody over there. I'm just going to pray and offer a sacrifice. And did they, did they really know my stuff? Did they, were they able to kind of get all my stuff on the table? And was the offering enough? Was it right? Was it enough? Was it big enough? Was it expensive enough? How do I even figure that? You never know where you stood. You were caught in this cycle of messing up and trying to make it right and messing up and trying to make it right and messing it up and trying to make it right and simply you couldn't. You could never make it right. The scripture in Hebrew says the law could not bring about perfection. It could not bring right relationship. And in Christ Jesus, you never have to guess where you stand. The sacrifice of his life was offered once for all time for every ounce of your sin. (laughs) Past, present, and future. It is no longer a sin issue for you. It has been dealt with at the cross. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are untied from that because it has been nailed to the cross once and for all, and you are set free. You may trip and fall, but it's not no longer your identity. That has been paid for. You've been ransomed, bought, uh, adopted into the family at the cross. You know where you stand. Now, second thing I need to show you this morning is this. You are fully known and you are fully loved. The role of the high priest was always to intercede on your behalf, to make an offering for you but he doesn't know you. He doesn't know you. I know a good handful of you, but I don't really know every person in here. There's no way. I mean, it was a good system, but it was incomplete. But this Jesus is somehow comes from outside. He got loose and he is both priest and king. And this priest and king knows you forwards and backwards and up and down and dark and in secret and light all of it. You are known and you are loved. Did you catch in the part that it says that Jesus lives to intercede on your behalf? Do you know 
I don't think we understand the weight of that. When you pray, you have never prayed alone. Not one time. When you are at your worst and you've thought, does anybody care? Is anybody listening? Do I matter? There's always been somebody that's gone to war on your behalf. That's always been praying for you by name because you are fully known and fully loved right now. Peter talks about, uh, 1 Peter talks about that the devil walks around like a roaring lion just looking to devour you. What is he looking to devour? He's looking to devour your hope. And he's looking to devour your faith. Actually, he's actually looking to devour your anchored. Are you anchored into the hope of Jesus Christ? That's what the enemy loves to do. Just swallow up your hope. To help you pull up that anchor so that you begin to drift. But Jesus steps right in. And every accusation that will ever come against you, he intercedes for. He intercedes for your, on your behalf. Oh, look. Oh, look. There's my boy John down there. Oh, he's crawling today. Come on. Keep crawling. Oh, my. He just got up. He's walking. Come on, John. Keep walking. Oh, my. He's running. Keep running, John. Don't give up. Don't you quit. I'm worth it. Come on. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. And he's interceding for you like that every single day. By name. You are fully known and fully loved. Can I just say it on a, on a side note? you know he also likes you too. And that's sometimes we make a distinction between, between that. Like, I got to love my kids. <laughs> but you also enjoy them. And God certainly loves you and he also enjoys you. He likes you. Christ intercedes on your behalf. And lastly, I want to show you this. The point has not been about obedience. The point has always been about relationship. Parents, if you have kids, you know this. Because oftentimes where we go wrong as moms and dads, where I really blow it is, is I focus, I just want my kids to be obedient. And have you seen them? Because they're not. But I want to raise kids that are obedient. And here's the truth with obedient children. You can raise really obedient children and their heart be totally disconnected from you. You can raise kids that will do everything you tell, tell them to do. And at 18, you will never see them again. Because your heart is disconnected. Friends, I need to tell you, the law was good. But we were, because of, the, but because of our flesh, the law could not make us into right relationship. The point was not to be obedient and to keep the law. The point was our hearts. That it pointed the way back to the Father. It pointed the way so that we could really love and enjoy Him. The point has never been just about obedience. It's always been about relationship. And I need to tell you right now, if you feel better about yourself because you're at church this morning, <laughs> or you feel better about yourself because... 
man, I memorized chunks of scripture this week, John. Like, I got it down. Or if you feel better about yourself because you spent time reading this week, like you got the daily thing checked off, there can be this obsession with obedience and forget that those are just tools in your belt. Those are gifts that God wants to give to you and we don't want to become people that enjoy the gift as much as the gift giver. Scripture points to Jesus. Uh, Memorizing scripture points to Jesus. Being at church this morning points to Jesus. This isn't the thing. It's what the thing actually points to. And we have this obsession in our culture for performance, bad, good, how you're doing, depends on how you're doing, rather than on what Jesus accomplished on the cross for your behalf. That's a different world. Chapter 7, friends, is this invitation to, we got to turn the whole thing upside down. Or you should probably say, you got to right side the ship. That Jesus somehow got loose. He's outside the box. He is priest and king. And this king says, you're you're fully known and you're fully loved. You can know where you stand with me. And I just want to enjoy the relationship that you were created for. And I believe, honestly, that that is something that many of us need to hear this morning. So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to posture ourselves this morning or we're going to worship together here in just a second and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit just to begin to go to work and, you know, dust off those parts of our hearts that may feel, you know, dry, to soften the parts of us that feel hardened, that the Spirit would would yet again remind us of what the Scripture has always been pointing towards is that just like Adam and Eve were meant to walk in the garden in the cool of the evening with the creator that invitation is real for you you are designed to walk in perfect relationship with Jesus Christ